I call out to anyone who dares stand against me. You better bring your fiercest warriors and armies if you ever want to stop me, for I am the greatest. Uh, hello, from the other side. Who are you? I'm Billy, like the goat? <laughs> I heard your challenge and, well, I'm here to answer it. You? You're so small, so weak. Well, that's why I brought this. What do you have in there? Nothing, just some armor. <laughs> Even with your armor, I will... Is that your armor? Yep, makes me bold, even if I'm small. <laughs> I'm still not impressed. I will still... Is that your shield? It's more than a shield, it's a symbol. It symbolizes the courage to endure. Huh, not bad. But still, I will destroy. Whoa, what is that? My helmet? It's one of a kind. It's my identity. Do you really think that you'll be able to defeat me with just some cool body armor, a shield, and a helmet? I mean, you don't even have a weapon. Don't you see? I have a sword. You are completely un- There it is! I was looking all over for it. Alright, I'm ready. Are you? Am I ready? Well, you said you're the greatest, so I wanted to see how great you really are. Let's find out. Huh. Okay, bye! You're not so great. Nowhere near as great as my god. Oh man! I, I think, I think, I think if we had the right proper gear, we can defeat almost anything or anyone, right? Well, God gives us a spiritual armor that we may not really know of, but can be easily applied in our lives today. Can we just thank them one more time with just that visualization of, of armor? You know, our, our, uh, our physical bodies can take only so much. You know, and, and what I'm about to say, I know some of you are going to say, oh my goodness, that's nothing uh, compared to what I'm going through, and I understand that. But I am 43 years old, and I don't think that's an age where it's, you know, too old, where the body is not doing so well, but I do have some pain uh, that I do wake up with. Sometimes I wake up with a shoulder pain, and uh, maybe I got to roll out of bed a little bit and stretch out before I move. Some of you right now are thinking, shoulder pain? I wish I only had shoulder pain. But our bodies, it, our bodies go through these painful moments, and, and uh, our bodies actually cannot keep up with our spirit. Our bodies just cannot keep up with our spirit. How often we've said, oh, the, the mind can, but the body cannot. You know, we, we see younger people doing things so fast with their, with their physical body, and we think, oh, we can do the same thing. And then we try, and then our back is out for like three months. So the body says, cannot. The mind says, can do. And that's just like the spirit. The spirit should be saying, I can because that's the spirit that God gives to us. That's the good news made simple. And that's the series we're in. So you can take out your, your notes if, you're, if you want to follow along and write some things down. It's in your bulletin. And if you're new today, we thank you for being here. And I pray that today would be another, just another God moment for you. That he would maybe open up some possibilities. And we're going to be talking about how do we stand strong in a weak world the Bible actually says that the world is falling apart. Did you know that? I mean, even if you didn't know the Bible says that, you can watch the world. And literally, you can see the world falling apart. 
not just violence and wars and, and mass shootings, but just with the heart of the human being, we can see that going astray. Well, how do we stand strong in a weak world? What do we do when we see the world weakening around us? Is it going to be politics? Is it going to be policies? Is it going to be the next president, the next uh, mayor? Is it going to be the, this next person? Who, who's going to be the strength when our world falls apart? I mean, if it's left up to human beings, we're in for big trouble. It can't be human beings because we can only do so much. We only know so much and we can only apply so much. There's a couple of uh, scriptures in the Bible that we're going to be looking at and, and the first one is going to help us to understand where we are in our world. In fact, Romans chapter 8 verses 18 through 22 reads this, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal, to, uh, reveal who His children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected, was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Yeah, we know that creation has been groaning. And it's, it's the world falling apart. And not only is the world physically falling apart, but it is also spiritually falling apart. That we need something to help us to become spiritually strong. I, I was watching a, um, an old uh, NBA playoff game, and this is about a, two years ago, and, and just watching the, the replay, and the, the, you know how you record it and you can watch it later. Well, I, I already knew who won the game, and when I was watching the game, you know, there's, there, they had turnovers, they had missed opportunities, they were losing by like five points, and there, were, there was only about 30 seconds left. And, I, and as I'm watching, I'm not shaken by a, a turnover or a, a missed opportunity. I wasn't shaken because I knew the ending. I knew who won. But it didn't change the reality of what was happening in the game. I knew who won, but even with the turnovers uh, uh, and a missed opportunity, even with that, it, it didn't rattle me. Oh, it was still, uh, oh, man, why did they do that? Or, or you should have taken care of the ball. It, you know, you still have that, but, but it didn't change the outcome of the game. I knew exactly what was going to happen. And with the knowledge and the insight of knowing the end result, the missed opportunities, the mistakes, all of those things that, that caused them to look like they were going to lose didn't rattle me. It didn't affect me as much as it would have if I didn't know the ending. Now, we stand in a world that is weakening, but we know the ending. And here's what the Bible says about it in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. It says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And it tells us to put on the whole armor of God that you may be, 
you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Then it says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you, will, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. So the Bible is telling us there is going to be an evil day. Everyone will have one. And having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Yeah, everyone will have an evil day. And the Bible knows the end result that God will reveal who his children really are. Everyone's waiting for that day, eagerly waiting for that last day. We know the end, and the, in the end, God wins. But until then, he gives us this armor, the armor of God. It's not our armor. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. And it's actually divided into two segments. One is with the, you have the belt of truth, you have the, the breastplate of righteousness, and you have the, the, the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's like, this is the type of equipment you have on all the time. It's with you all the time. The other three, you're going to have to take up. You're going to have to take up the shield of faith. You're going to have to take the helmet of salvation and take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. See, the first one, you're already dressed up in. That's, that's everyday use. The other three is ad, as needed basis. You know, as you need it. It's like a, a, a baseball player. He is always in uniform or she is always in uniform. But they don't always have the glove on. They don't always carry the bat with them. They're not walking out there with the glove and bat all the time. No, they, they, they take up the bat when they're up to bat or ready for bat. They take up the glove when they're on defense, unless you're the catcher, and then you have that equipment. So you, you take up certain types of equipment for an as-needed basis, but most of the time you're already dressed in your uniform or your equipment, the tools that you need to defeat the enemy, the tools that is needed for this sports game. Well, it's the same thing with the armor of God. There are certain things that we already are dressed in and then there are certain things that we need on an as-need basis. Now, when you, going back to the game and, and watching something that you already knew what the end result is, it's kind of like life, that we know the end result, but we still go through the fumbles, the turnovers, the missed opportunities. We'll still go through that, but because we know the end result, we can still stand strong. Like, we don't get defeated. We may have made a mistake, but we're not defeated because we know the end result. We're on the winning team. Some of us live defeated from a mistake, a fumble, an overturned ball, or a, a missed opportunity. So we, we look at that one play, that one situation, that one moment in life, and then we stay in the defeated mode. But if you watch a championship team, they're not perfect through the whole game. Take football, for instance. They'll throw an interception. They'll have a fumble. They'll go through that. But if you stay there, you end up losing the game. The best of them make mistakes and then shake it off and then get back on the playing field. Why? Because they know the end result is we are going to win this thing. 
They don't get stuck in the moment. They move forward to the victory side of it. And that's what God wants for us. That's why he gives us this armor. Because some of us live in a defeated state. And he says, that's not the state you should stay in. You're moving towards victory. You've already won the game. See, everyone is going to have an evil day. Everyone has an evil day. But with this inside information that we know the end result, because we're going to have an evil day, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to be able to view life like we view a game with a different perspective because we know the end result. See, you will need more than just knowledge and theory in this evil day. You, you're, you and I are going to need pragmatic tools. We're going to need practical tools to stand strong in this world that is slowly decaying and weakening. We're going to need more than just knowledge. Knowledge is good. Insight is good. But we're going to need some practical tools in order for us to head toward the outcome. we just got to stand firm in it. And every single person is going to have an evil day. Every single person is going to have a not-so-good moment, a bad day, a, a horrible day, a, uh, something that happens and, and you weren't prepared for. Everyone is going to have those days. So how do we st- stand strong in these evil days? How do we respond in these evil days or when that day comes and we don't know what to do and the marriage is not well, the family is not well, sickness comes in? How do we stand strong? See, here's the promise of God. We can all stand strong in a weak world, a world that's falling apart by making three simple choices. And here's the first. If you want to write this in, be strong in the Lord. Not just human strength. We already know that that's not going to work because our physical bodies can only do so much. we got to be strong in the Lord. That's where the belt of truth comes in. Truth. You know, some of us, like when we were growing up, you know, We'll, we'll ask questions like, hey, you took my slipper. No, I didn't take your slipper. Promise to God. And we say that. Like, like the first original question and the answer was a lie. You promise to God. And then, you know, the best liars, they say, yeah, I promise to God. Like without even thinking, I promise to God. And the inside, you're like, God, please help me. I, I know I'm lying, but please don't do anything. And then, and then if that wasn't enough, promise to God. And they say, yeah, promise. And then we say, hope to die. We're like seven years old. Promise to God. I promise. Hope to die. Stick a needle in your eye. It's like, what? how violent are we at that age? And then we say this. Put your hand on the Bible. Now, this one scared me. When, when they would say, put your hand on the Bible. I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to put my hand on the Bible. That means you're lying. I said, I'm not lying. I just, I just feared if I do put my hand on the Bible and I say what is untruth, something's going to happen to me. I just felt that. Which, by the way, kids, something will. It won't, it won't, it won't. It's, it's just be honest with God and you'll be fine. But the truth, the truth, there's an, there's an absolute truth when it comes to the Word of God. Someone said it like this, truth can be described as an absolute standard by which reality is measured. An absolute standard by which reality is measured. How do we measure reality? How, how do we even measure what happens in life? How do we know what is truth? There needs to be something that brings that measurement. And the Bible says God's word is true. It is true. It is accurate. It is absolute truth. It is like nutrition for our soul and our world because it's truth. Truth stands alone. It doesn't need any help. 
But what happens sometimes is we take the truth and we kind of surround it with opinion and perspective. It's like bananas. Great nutritional value. But once it's in cream pie, you cancel out its nutritional value. I mean, it still tastes really, 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 really good. Especially that shortbread crust. If you can make that super good, doesn't matter what else you put, pudding, whatever, whipped cream. It's that, it's that, it's that shortbread crust, which banana cream pie is my favorite. Please don't make it for me after service. Please don't because then I got to eat it and then I got to go running and that's a whole different thing. So banana cream pie loses all of its nutritional value in the banana itself because you put it in something that now took away its nutritional value. And that's what we do with truth sometimes. Truth has great nutritional value, but then we put it in the cream pie of this earthly world and its values and its systems, and then it cancels out the nutritional value of God's truth. And so we don't live our life according to truth. We live our life according to take the truth and put it in cream pie of the world, and now it tastes better. I can live with this. I can compromise. I can, I can, I can let this lie. I can kind of go in this gray area. But no, it's still now truth being canceled out by personal opinion rather than truth itself. So the Bible says put on the belt of truth rather than using man's view and that failing and then ending up with truth. Sometimes we end up with truth. We end up there. We're, we're now at the, the, the last of our, our ropes or rock bottom and now we accept the truth. Don't end up with truth. Start there. You start with the truth. That's why Paul said, no, you gird yourself with truth. You put on the belt of truth. You start there. That's what you're going to start with. That's the basic principle of following the Lord. Because you're going to have to deal with facts and you're going to have to deal with truth. And if you don't know what the truth is, fact becomes truth to you. And what is changing, which is fact, fact can change, you buy into and that becomes truth to you. So what happens is your perspective changes. Your value systems change because you're changing with the facts that happen. But when there's truth, now that's different. About a year and a half ago, I bruised my heel playing basketball. And, and so I went home and kind of iced it a little bit and then kept playing and kept playing. And so I'm playing with this bruised heel. Six months go by, nothing changes, still in pain. And so I'm trying to treat this thing, trying to, you know, get better with this bruised heel. Finally, I go to the doctor because as a man, it takes a while to get me to the doctor. And I'm sure you wives understand with your husband, you're like, go to the doctor, go to the doctor. You know what you're saying? I'm tired of you whining. Go to the doctor. That's what, that's what we're trying to say. We're trying to let our husbands know something's wrong. Go to the doctor, check it. Husbands are saying, I don't like go doctor. They're just going to tell me what is wrong. I already know what is wrong and I'm going to pay money for it. So might as well no need. And like five years later, we still, you know, we just develop a new walk. We just kind of like, this is, this, is, this is how I walk. This is how I always walk. So I was walking, I was limping. And, and so when I went to the doctor, I said, uh, they said, oh, so what are you coming in for? I said, well, I have a bruised heel and it hasn't healed yet. He says, okay, let's check some things. Come to find out I had plantar fasciitis. So my fascia tendon underneath my foot, when I bruised it, I damaged that tendon and it never healed because I kept playing on it. And so now it could be treated. And here's where the problem lied. The fact was I had pain in my heel. The truth was it was plantar fasciitis. I was treating the fact, the pain. 
but I wasn't treating the truth of that torn tendon. See, we can have the facts of life, pain, but what is the truth behind it? There's a truth there, maybe a deeper issue. We're treating facts many times. We're addressing facts and issues, but we're never addressing the truth of it. See, whenever we see fruit in our life, it's not the fruit that is bringing nutrition. It's the root of that fruit. And so the opposite is true. When there's no fruit in my life, it's not the fruit. It's the root. Where's the nutrition coming in from? So sometimes we treat fact more than we do truth. Even in our very own lives, our marriages, our families. People aren't doing well in our family. Marriage not doing well. We're, we're trying to treat the facts. Oh, we just need to get along. We just need to be nice. We just need to love each other. We need to do more things together. That, we're treating the fact, but the truth is there's a heart behind it. There's a spirit behind it. We've got to fix that. So when the belt of truth is put on, that's part of the armor. God says, start there. Psalm 28, verses 7 and 8 says, The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust Him with all my heart. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. The Lord gives His people strength. Now listen very carefully. It's not the truth that sets you free. Some of, some of us believe that. Some of us, some of us even say that to each other. No, you've got to know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's not what the Bible says. Truth doesn't set you free. It's knowing the truth. And then the truth shall make you free. Truth can be available 24-7. But if I don't know it, I will never be set free. We, we got to know the truth. And when we know the truth, the truth will set us free. See, the devil uses facts to mess you up. He's not going to use truth. He can't. He's the father of lies. He can only use facts. He can't use truth. That's where the breastplate of righteousness comes in because that's going to guard your heart, your organs, your, the important part, the lifeblood of your life. And so when you put on the breastplate of righteousness, now there's a righteousness that takes place because truth is God's standard. It's his, it's his idea. It's, it's between the right and wrong. It's, it's God's truth. That's his standard. And his righteousness is what he declares. It's his righteousness that he gives to us. We're not made righteous because of our, our own merit. We're made righteousness because of the blood of Christ. He shed his blood for us. His righteousness became ours so we can stand righteous in the sight of God for those who accept Christ. Why? Because Christ brought righteousness. He made things right. So we can't do that by ourselves. We need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And so it's an outside, exterior righteousness that makes us right with God. In this movie called Inception, I think it was Leonardo DiCaprio, he was the, the, the star of the show. But basically in this movie, there was a, he could go into dreams and... and, and he did not know if he was in dreamland because he could go into a dream and in that dream he could go into another dream and in that dream he could go into this dream. So by the time he's like into the dream of the fourth dimension, then he's like, I don't even know what is reality, what is true, and what is not. But he would have this little top and he would spin it and if that top continued to spin, he knew he was still in the dream. But if it stopped spinning, 
he knew that it was reality. Like he needed something outside of himself to let him know this is reality. This is truth. And we need something outside of ourselves to tell us what is true, what is reality. And that's God's righteousness, his word, his truth. We cannot figure out truth on our own. We need God to do that. That's the breastplate of righteousness. So we can only be strong in the Lord. We can't be strong in ourselves. Here's the second thing, if you want to write this in, to be equipped with the Lord's armor. It's available, but we got to equip ourselves. We have to be equipped with it. We can't just read that scripture and say, okay, God's armor is available and then that's it. No, we got to be equipped with it. We got to do something with it. You can have all the clothes you want in your room, but if you don't get dressed in it, it does nothing for you. It can look really good in the closet, but that's not what we buy clothes for. Even though it's full of clothes we don't use. That's not why we buy clothes. We don't buy clothes so that we can put it up to make it look good. No, we buy clothes so that we can put it on. Well, God gave us armor to put on. He didn't bring this armor so that we can look at it and say, wow, that looks really good. He says, no, this is specifically made, tailored made for you. But you got to be equipped with it. you got to make that choice. That's the gospel of peace. You shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You put on peace. See, when you put on peace, you don't have to ask God for peace because you are bringing peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. You bring that with you. And when you bring peace with you, it's for some reason peace is around you. But it's not the, when it's the, when it's the peace, the gospel of peace, it's not, it's not peace with God. When you accept Christ, you have peace with God because of Jesus Christ. He gave us that peace with God. In battle, you need more than the peace of knowing your commander loves you, right? I mean, if you're in battle, you need more than, oh, my commander loves me. Look at all this armor my commander gave me. Now I'm in battle, and you're there with your sword, and here comes the enemy, and the enemy is staring you down in your face. You're not going to stand there and say, I can take you on because my commander loves me. My commander thinks I am the best. Like, that's good for you for confidence, but you're still going to have to swing the sword. You need more than just the knowledge of this peace. See, the gospel of peace, and it's part of the armor, is knowing that you made the right decisions. That gives you peace. Isn't it true that when we make a decision, if you are kind of like unsure, hard to sleep? There's no peace. There's no peace in the family when things aren't going well because of certain decisions people have made. Maybe our children made some decisions that, that they went astray from God and there's no peace now. It's hard to sleep because there's no peace. It's not necessarily the peace of God. It's the peace of not making the proper decision. And so when the gospel of peace comes in, it's the truth. It's the good news made simple. Truth is very simple. We complicate it. But when we have the the gospel of peace. Now the decisions that we make, oh, now it's, we can stand true to that. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8 tells us, but, but let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. 
See, when you know you're saved, that's all the confidence you can begin with. That's all the confidence you're going to need to begin with, is knowing that you're saved. It's the confidence of our salvation. That gives you peace because you made the best decision that you will ever make in your entire life when you say yes to the Lord. But what is peace? What could peace look like? How can we define peace in a world that is weakening? How, do we, how, how can we be strong with this peace in this world? Well, th- there was a, a story of two painters. And uh, the story is told that they were, these two painters were told to paint what they thought was peace. Well, you had one artist who just eloquently, beautifully painted a, a nice landscape scenery with a nice waterfall in the background, blue skies, birds flying in the air, and then a nice tranquil lake, just still, beautiful colors. But the other painter, when he presented his painting, it was a storm with lightning and, and, and darkness and, and rain coming down and torrential waters on the bottom and, and, and in the background, dark colored trees and it just looked gloomy and, and depressing. But in the far bottom right corner was this little red cardinal singing. Like little music notes coming out and a little sliver of light kind of shining upon him. And that was his depiction of peace. See, when you have peace, the storms of life can be surrounding you, but you're still singing because it's the light of God that keeps shining on you. It's the gospel of peace. It's the good news that even though all looks dark, even in the darkness, you can still sing with joy, with chaos. You can still stand even in the midst of it all. That is called the evil day. Darkness around you, but you're still standing and you can still sing because of the gospel. See, the gospel is more than just getting us to heaven. The gospel is getting heaven to you. It's bringing God's good news to this world. That's why it's it's the good news made simple because God did all all the hard work for us. Romans 13 verse 12, it says that the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Like we got to make that choice we, we got to equip ourselves with the armor of God. We have to make that decision. You take up the shield of faith. You, you put on the gospel of peace. See, the shield of faith, many try to make faith or, or conjure up faith or, or just read about faith. Or we try to do things to help our faith or feel faith, which causes a lot of confusion. See, you don't want a feeling when in battle. You want to use something. You need a tool that you can use. You don't just want the feeling of, I got faith in this battle. And when the enemy comes, I got faith. Take David and Goliath. If you know that story, Goliath was this huge giant, a Philistine giant, the enemy of the armies of Israel. Well, David, just a young teenager, comes up to the armies of Israel and says, what's going on? What is happening? And they tell him, oh, a battle is taking place. You see that large giant right there? His name is Goliath. 
He says, really? Well, what are we doing about it? Oh, nothing. We're hiding. Why are we hiding? Because look how big he is. I mean, you're going to go out there? He goes, yeah, I can take him out. I can take him out. Now, David had all the faith, but he actually did something about it. He didn't, he didn't stay with everyone else and hide. You know what he did? He took up a sling and a rock. And he had some stones. And he ran toward the giant. And the giant says, you come with me with a small little stone? And David says, you come with me with a sword? I don't come with you with a stone. I come with you with the spirit of the living God. See, David's armor was not in what he was actually wearing. His armor was God. And when he slung that uh, sling and that rock sunk into Goliath's head, he defeated the enemy, not because of his actual armor. It was because of his faith in God, but his feet was proof of his faith. His feet walked out what his, what his faith believed. Now, we could be like the other guys and stand behind the rocks and say, oh, I got faith. God's going to do something. Watch. When lightning bolt going to come and strike that guy. Wait, wait. And David said, I'm not, I have the faith. And my feet will prove it right now. And so if you ever question your faith, I wouldn't question your faith. I would question your feet. Where's your feet moving? Because before God moves, he waits for us to move. He has all the power already. It's like motion lights. You know, if, when you have motion lights, like I, I, I went into this one building and I'm looking for the light switch, but as I stepped in, boom, all the lights came on. Why? Because I moved. The moment you move, power turns on the light. The power is always available and the light is always there. We just need to move and walk in it, then it turns on. All the power of God is available to us. We just have to walk and move in it. And when we move in it, the power of God comes right on. In our marriages, sometimes we're waiting for the other person. God says, you move. You be first to ask for forgiveness. And we're like, I don't like. Then the light will never come on. Ah! Forgive me. Boom, the light comes on. Kind of dim. But the heart is still trying to get better. But it's that movement. You make that movement. And when you make that movement, you watch God's power come in. You want something to happen in in your life? Move. Move. Use your feet. Your faith and your feet are in tandem. Faith without works is dead. So we need to move. That's the faith that God says. We need that biblical action. And biblical faith is acting as if God is actually telling the truth. That's why even in the, the Gospels, when you read the, the New Testament, you hear it said, help my unbelief. In other words, I have the faith, but these feet are not moving. Help that. I, I, I understand it, but I, I need help in moving in that direction. See, biblical faith is acting like it is. So even when it's not so, in order that it might be so, because God said so. It's your trusting in what he said. Faith is action taken, not a feeling felt. It's the action thereof. See, the, the, 
the shield of faith was, was described in such a way because the enemies would actually use these fiery darts. That's why we have the shield of faith, to extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. And the fiery darts was actually not for the person that was holding the shield. The fiery darts was actually to hit the supplies, to hit their homes, to hit other things so that those things would burn up so that the person with the shield of faith would be distracted, seeing everything else go up in flames. But you see, when you have the, when you have the, the shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts, you're able to go wherever you need to go, protect the supplies, protect your home, protect your family. So when the fiery darts come in, you have the shield of faith for that protection. And you're not easily distracted because you have the shield of faith. You understand that it's not, it's not going to be the enemy that takes you over. It's going to be a distraction that messes you up. The enemy is already defeated. We know the end result. We win. See, we don't get defeated by the enemy. We get defeated by the distractions of the enemy. I mean, think about our marriages. We love each other. But for some reason, we get distracted by these little petty things. Little, little mishaps here and there. Oh, you didn't calculate this correct. Hey, you never tell me about this. Hey, you never tell me about that. Hey, what about this? Hey, you never put gas in the car. You didn't do this. I told you to do this. Those small little petty things, those are distractions in our marriages. And the devil, is he's not even really aiming. He's like... He just looks at your family. Ah, I'll just shoot around them. And he just puts a distraction, a flame here, flame there. And so... For many of us, chaos is not actually our family. Chaos is what is happening in our family. Chaos is not actually the workplace. Chaos is what's happening in the workplace. There's all these little fires that we have to put out. And it seems as if one fire is out, one fire comes on. One fire is out, another one comes up. Put this one out, another one comes up. After a while, we feel defeated because of all these distractions. And so what do we do? We take up the shield of faith. Because once you have the shield of faith, then what can the enemy do? It protects from the fiery darts of the enemy. That's what it's designed for. So we have that shield of faith. And it doesn't even belong to us. All of this armor belongs to God. So it's a supernatural armor. We just think of it as just armor. But it's a supernatural armor. It, it protects us from the fiery darts of the enemy. And right away, when that, when that is confirmed in your life, you already know you have the peace of God. You already know that you're bringing peace because you're protected by the Prince of Peace. And it's His protection over every single one of us. See, God waits for us before He moves. And He gives us the shield of faith so we can move, so, we need, so that we can do what we need to do. And here's the last thing that, that will help us. Here's a decision. You just got to be consistent with the Lord. Be consistent with Him. These are, these are really three simple actions and choices that we can make. Very simple. Just be consistent with the Lord. Be consistent with your thinking, the way you think. That's why it's the helmet of salvation. It protects our thinking. Have you ever had days like this? Because I've, I've had days like this where 
You so want to be here on Sunday morning. And that's the thought process. It's, oh, I, I know the Lord has something for me. I want to be consistent. I want to, I want, I want to work on my faith and my, my relationship with the Lord. It's, it's, it's for my good. It's for our good. So we're going to go to church every single week. We're going to be consistent. But then the brain kicks in and says, but it's so sunny outside. We should go cruise beach. We should go Kona today. We should do this. And what is one Sunday out of the year? We go through that. Next thing you know, six months later, oh, we never go to church a long time. We need to go to a church. Like the consistency with the Lord is not attendance. That's not what it is. That's why when people say, you know what, I made a commitment to God. I can go to church every single week. I understand that. That's a good heart. But I'd rather say, Lord, instead of me thinking of going to church every single week on Sunday, I would just say, Lord, my, my consistency with you is being with the body of Christ every single week. You will miss a day or two. You will. You're going to miss a Sunday here and there due to whatever reasons. It's even more difficult nowadays because they have sports games on Sunday, so that's difficult. Sometimes we travel, that's difficult. Sometimes you, you have an event on a Saturday night and then you sleep at three in the morning, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm going to go to third service. And then third service comes and you're like, I'll go next week. It, it comes up. It, it happens in our thought process. But my consistency with the Lord is what he's after. He's saying, just be consistent with me. You don't need to make so many promises. Just be consistent. Of course, let your yes be yes and your no be no. But be consistent in it. Just be consistent. I know some people, they're saying, but, you know, if I want my family to come to church. I want my husband, my wife to come to church. And, and some of them say, honey, you go to church for me. You go to church for me. First of all, that's, not, that's theoretically incorrect. We can't go to church for someone else. Like, hey, honey, go back for me. I'm tired. Sorry, that's kind of a bad analogy. Oh, go eat for me. Go eat. Go eat food for me. I mean, we wish we could do that. But we can't. We got to be consistent with the Lord. That's that helmet of salvation in our thinking. Otherwise, we're going to be living a lie. And we're going to be imprisoned. There's a movie called Man in the Iron Mask. Yeah, same actor, Leonardo DiCaprio. This guy's acting in all these movies. But in this movie, there's actually twins. And if you didn't see the movie, I'm going to ruin it for you right now. But it's an old movie. So if you didn't watch it, that's not my fault. It's like 20 years old. So you have these two twins that are birthed into royalty. Well, because this king wanted or this child wanted kingship, he hid the other brother and put him in prison. Well, the three musketeers find out. And they're going to bring this new king in because he's a humble king. This king is an arrogant, prideful one. And so they're going to do a switch. Well, when they do, this, this humble king who never knew who he was as far as becoming that king and, and, and his brother treating everyone like that, by the time he comes into kingship and they try to train him, he's still living as if he's in prison. He still has the tendencies of one who's still imprisoned but he's king. That's his rightful inheritance. And the same is true with us. The Bible calls you a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, but we're still living imprisoned because we don't know our identity. 
we think our identity is in the world and what we do and who we are in this world, but it's not. You're, you're of a heavenly place, living in an earthly place. You, you, you exist on this earth, but really you're, you're from the throne of God, from heavenly places. See, when Jesus was on this earth, Yes, he was all man, but he was still all God because he operated on earth out of a heavenly place. Heaven dictated his life, not the other way around. Heaven called the shots. God called the shots because he knew that heaven wasn't his final destination. Earth may have been the so-called palace, but his inheritance And who he is, his identity was in God. Some of us live in the palace, but we're still imprisoned in it. And it's like God saying, it's time to step out into your inheritance and who you are. That when you have the helmet of salvation, you're saved from imprisonment. Everything that holds you down, all the hurt, the pain, the suffering, all the, all the thoughts that go on in our minds and, and even the, the low self-esteem, God says, that's not you anymore. You're, that's, that's imprisonment. You're now set free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The truth is you're God's children. You and I, we belong to him. You're royal priesthood. Your life and who you are, your identity is not determined by what other people say. It's what God says. And he says, you are my child. See, our thinking limits us to what we cannot see. And our thinking is where we need help. That's the helmet of salvation. So we become self-limiting even though we've been relocated from an old life to a new life. Before knowing Jesus and then now knowing Jesus. In fact, 1 Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the, in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Deceptive spirits and teaching that comes from demons. That we need the helmet of salvation so we can guard our thinking because all of these different teachings are going to come in. Strange Teaching is going to come in strange doctrine and we got to protect the way we think with the helmet of salvation, knowing that we're saved from all that junk to stay true to the word of God because this is truth. And then finally, the, Paul says, and finally, as he gives us the whole entire armor of God, he ends with the sword of the spirit. And you notice that's the only offensive weapon, the sword of the spirit, unless you bash people in the head with the shield of faith, but that's not what it's for. That's why we're not supposed to just uh, bash people across the head with the truth of God. We're supposed to bring grace. But the sword of the Spirit is the only item, the only tool used as an offensive weapon. Now, really, one item? Only one weapon? Like, if I was going into battle, I'd, be, I'd have one, one sword and a couple daggers, maybe some ninja stars, maybe one in the holster, you know, just everywhere so that when I go into battle, in case I'm taken out or my sword is gone, I can do a little dagger, something. So that I can have more than one weapon. But here's, here's why it's only one weapon. When you have all the other armor in place, you only need one weapon. You only need the sword because it's the word of God. When every other armor is put in place, the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, 
helmet of salvation, shield of faith, preparation with the gospel of peace. When you have all that in place, it's going to be the word of God that is going to be your weapon. And no other weapon formed against you will ever prosper. Why? Because you have the full armor of God. It doesn't belong to you. It's not yours. It's God's armor. And he has the best armor because he tailor makes it for you and I. There's a supernatural power that comes with this armor of God. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Paul the Apostle says, So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. See, the sword of the Spirit is the only weapon the Spirit actually uses. It's the only weapon that the Spirit uses. It's the Word of God. So if you're trying to grab words and truth and life from any other source than the Bible, it may sound good. But if the Bible is not its source and you're using it, just understand the Spirit is not using it. It's the word that the Spirit uses. Take up the sword, which is the word of God. So how do you do that? How do you, how do you put on this armor of God? Because it sounds super good. It sounds like this is what I need. I need this armor of God. And it's very simple how you put on the armor of God. Very, very simple. One word. P. R-A-Y. You pray. How simple is that? You pray. You pray the armor of God. I would encourage you and challenge you to go to Ephesians chapter 6. Take this scripture home. Memorize it. Put it in practice. Visualize it when you're praying this prayer because it's God who's going to give you this armor. And when you pray it, then it's going to come into existence. Prayer is, is basically stepping up to God so that God can intervene for you. You just step up to God and pray to God. And you ask and you shall receive. You're going to receive with this armor its privileges, especially its purpose. And sometimes we ask the Spirit of God to do things that the Spirit doesn't do and to act out what the Spirit never acts out. But the Spirit will always stay in tandem with the Word of God, and the Word of God will always stay in tandem with His Spirit. It's His armor. And when you have the full armor of God, now you go into situations, not hoping. You don't go into situations hoping that things turn out well. You don't go into situations with, with fear and the hope that something turns out okay, you actually go into situations knowing that you're victorious because you've already seen the film. It's already a done deal. You know you've already won. And so you're stepping into victory. Hope is already there. Now we step out in faith. We walk not by sight, but by faith because we know the end of the game. And we win. So stand. Stand strong. Don't forget who you are in this world.
your royalty. You belong to God. Be the husband God made you to be. Be the wife God made you to be. Be the man God created you to be. Be the woman God created you to be. Stand strong because the world is falling apart. But when the world is falling apart, God's people don't. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord, thank you for your word, the sword. It's our only offensive weapon. This is, this is the only way we can stand strong in a world that's, that's falling apart. But we don't fall apart, Lord. We're your people. And so I pray for us today. We ask, Lord, that you would, you would help us to, to get dressed, to put on your armor, starting with the belt of, the belt of truth, that we shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that we would put on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation, that we would take up the shield of faith, and then, of course, that we would take up the sword of the Spirit, which is your word. We've already won the battle, Lord. We just got to go through the motions of our faith that we move according to your standard. There may be some of you this morning and you're saying, I, I, I want to pray that prayer, but I don't even know Jesus Christ. I don't know who he is. Or we're going to say a prayer together. And if you're, you're here today and you're saying, I, I, want, I want to give Christ my heart. I want this armor. This is what I need for my life. And as we pray this prayer, I'm going to ask you to pray it with us. And, and what you're going to be doing is you're going to actually be what we call stepping into salvation. That you're being saved. So let's pray this prayer together, all of us together. Let's pray this. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins and washing me clean. Forgive me. Make me brand new. I put on your armor today the belt of truth, the gospel of peace for my feet, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit, which is your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and eyes closed, if you just did that prayer for the first time and you gave Christ your heart, I want to pray over you. And could you just lift a hand real briefly and just be bold enough to say, I, I just said that prayer, okay? Anybody else? Good. God bless you. You too, right here, right here. God sees you. Yeah. God sees your hand. Yeah. Okay, back there. God sees you. God bless you. Yeah, God sees you. He hears your prayer. Yeah, God sees you. Okay, God sees you too. You can put your hands down. Lord, I pray your blessing over those that just said yes to you. And it's going to be a new life, a new journey. But it's a journey with you. And it's a journey that they're now well equipped because of your spirit and who you are. It's your armor, Lord. And so I pray your blessing over them, over all of us. And for those who said yes to Jesus on your way out, we have a yes packet. Please pick one of those up. You're going to have an usher back there. And And just ask them for a yes packet. They'll give that to you and it'll help you with your walk with Jesus. 
Lord, thank you so much for your word, your truth, and who you are. For you have given us the good news, and it is very simple. So help us to apply that in our lives today. We pray this in Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. Let's congratulate those that said yes to Jesus this morning.